Well, hello there, dealmakers. Welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. I'm Garrett Lynch, and I'll be your host today. I'm excited to give you guys some more quality content on this episode, but I need you guys to do me a favor first and please just own it. Our guest today has invested in three different asset classes, including a tough, tough asset class called car washes, which the first that I've heard of of somebody doing so, but she's achieved some really big returns. And so I'm excited to have her on here to learn some of her secrets about how she maneuvered through these asset classes. If you guys are interested in passive investing and want to hear more about some of the deals that Nighthawk has coming up, please reach out to us at nighthawkequity.com. Join our investor club, set up a brief call, and you can get in with us in our club and hear about these amazing investment opportunities that we have with some big, big returns. Uh, We're super excited about some of the opportunities we have coming up. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, We look forward to having you chat with us a bit. As far as Dealmaker Live, I don't know if you guys have heard about this event, but if you haven't, you're really missing out. I love this event. Uh, it's an annual event that that we throw here over at TMB. The tickets right now are going up. So you want to jump in. We have some great guests coming up here. Robert Helms, Damon John is headlining the event. It's going to be in a fantastic event for operators, other investors, people that are just getting started. There's a wide array of people that can be at this event that you can meet your next partner. You can meet uh, the next person that you have invested into your next deal. There's all kinds of amazing people. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas. So don't miss out. It's right around the corner. Get your tickets today. I want to give a shout out to Cam248 said, I listened to my first show recently and I thought it was great. I'll be watching more uh, for more episodes to learn from. The content is fantastic. So I want to introduce the guest uh, on the show today. Her name is Stephanie. She is originally from Brazil. She moved to Silicon Valley 20 years ago, where she had a successful career in tech sales. For the past three years, she's decided to focus on commercial real estate investing. After receiving inspiration from sophisticated real estate investors, she was an angel investor, and she didn't love the risk profile of investing in tech companies, so she decided to make the pivot into real estate. So we'll talk a little bit about her career, but she's been in three different asset classes where she's achieved as high as a 36% cash on cash return. So uh, very exciting to, to dive into that. She's also the host of the commercial real estate investing from A to Z podcast. The show focuses on investing in retail office, industrial, and self-storage. Steph, thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. you. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Garrett. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a pretty interesting story and I I can't wait to get into it a bit, but why don't you tell the audience a little bit about how you got into uh, real estate and what kind of came from? I was working in tech sales in um, Silicon Valley for my entire career and uh, decided to invest 
you know, some money as an angel investor in some startups. And um, at the time I was dating a real estate investor and very quickly I realized that real estate is a much safer, better, and with higher returns form of investment, at least compared to an angel investor in startups. So I decided to start learning everything I could possibly learn and purchase my first portfolio shortly after. So why why were tech investments more risky than what you were seeing on the real estate side? Tell us a little bit about the contrast between the two. Sure. So as an angel investor, you really are being the very first person to invest in something that will very likely fail. So that's number one. Most startups do fail, similar to restaurants. And after that, once the venture, let's say they do succeed, once the venture capitalists come in, you have to keep putting that same percentage of investment compared to the value of the property in order to keep your share. And also, let's say at that stage that the startup does not work out later, the venture capitalists put a lot of contingencies in place that they will get paid first. Even though we were the ones that took the most amount of risk and it was a super early stage when we came in, they barely could have had sales or would have had sales, for example. And so as an angel investor, I, I don't recommend it. So that's that's the very brief overview. Yeah. So you were angel investing in these deals, but then you, you're like, there's you know a high probability these could just fall apart completely. And then you get pushed to the side by the VC firms that come in. Would it dilute you sometimes as well? Yeah, they definitely dilute you. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you you got on you and you got on really early before these things could even really take flight and you took a ton of the risk. Exactly. Exactly. Now, do you think, do you think that the companies themselves fail or you think the people fail? Oh, it can be a variety of different things. As people say, it's a little bit of luck with also hard work. So it really can be so many different variables. I had a startup myself a while ago and I had three major mistakes, but it really can vary on why startups fail. So, So you like the risk profile of real estate better? Yes. Tell us a little bit why. So real estate, not only can you leverage uh, your money. So let's say you're buying a million dollar property. You you only need, let's say, 200K uh, versus, let's say, the stock market or even startups, right? You need the entire amount that you are personally taking out of your account and you're investing there. Uh, so that's number one, leverage. And then number two, security, right? Uh, someone said that 90 or 95% of all wealth created in the last 100 years was through real estate. And we are all witnessing it today with super hyperinflation. Prices keep going up. It's a very important way of maintaining our wealth at the very least and also increasing uh, because you can also increase your rents in the meantime. So as time goes by, your payments are the same, but you're increasing rent. So the value and your equity continue to increase. And then later you can still cash out and invest in other properties. It's beautiful. And also you get a lot of tax benefits from investing. So it's uh, endless possibilities and a lot of really good benefits. So long as you're doing the right thing, of course. I couldn't have said it better myself, Stephanie. So you basically shifted from this 
product that had a risk profile that was pretty undesirable. You're being put in a position where you can get squeezed out by venture capital, make the shift into real estate. And you're like, wow, this profile looks so much better. So talk to us a little bit about, you said you bought your first property, but from there, where did it kind of go? How did it evolve? So yeah, I landed in some car washes because I was looking for self-storage and this person was selling a portfolio of self-storage and car washes and the numbers made sense. And so I said, well, how hard could it be? And little did I know. (laughs) Uh, It's a ton of moving parts. It's a lot of work. Something breaks every day. And so I will, uh, I'm in the process of getting out of that asset class. And so self-storage is phenomenal. Anything is easier than car washes. <laughs> what makes car wash? Okay. So I've never heard about <laughs> someone owning car washes. And I've, I've looked at these before on like biz buy sell. And I'm like, car wash? Yeah. yeah. What, what makes it tough? What's, why is it a hard asset class? I'm curious. Yeah, it's really a lot of moving parts. So something does break every day. You need to coordinate someone to go fix it. You're dealing with, you know, a certain level of employees with all the respect to them. It's just not the kind of work ethic that I'm used to, or do I want to deal with personally? So it really depends on what you are looking for personally. I think it's important if you own one to be there or really be, you know, dealing with super high professionals and have the budget for that and scale from there. But you really need a very, very, very good team in place that have really good work ethics. If you don't, (laughs) and it's hard to be able to fit that kind of payroll into a business that size, right? So you're like, hey, you want a really good team, but you're paying minimum wage because it's all the business can afford. How good can they really be, right? So so exactly. So any business like that, and it's similar. When I did, uh, I started out doing D class stuff. And we could only, yeah. Oh yeah. I had, I had the, the hardest of the hard type of assets that you can find in, uh, on the South and West side of Chicago. So first, first properties that my portfolios we were buying, cause it's, that's like all we, I got started in the business doing wholesaling in the, in the, the bad parts of Chicago. And so, so that's all we knew. So we're like, well, let's just buy a bunch of these. They cash flow like crazy. But once we started owning them, there was this one time I remember we had about 300 uh, units between two and three flats in Chicago and we were self-managing everything. Cause you have to, you can't, you can't third-party manage D-class apartments. It just doesn't work. There's too many things that, that happen. I remember I had like 12 employees working for me on the, the site, like all like maintenance guys and stuff going around, which is like entirely too many for the amount of units we had. And I was like, I don't think these guys are doing much. Like they, they're just not working. Somebody's not working. So I fired 10 of them (laughs) and I left two and the portfolio ran the exact same way. I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) nothing changed at all. So, (laughs) so I, uh, I definitely feel your pain on that side of things, especially if you're not watching things, it can be pretty tough in that arena. So, okay. So car washes don't work. So you're like, listen, this is just a hard asset class to deal with. But you got part of it with self-storage. So you got into that. So how did that have some more success for you? So car washes, for the record, they do work, right? The returns are great. They're, for me right now, at least 50% cash on cash returns. Oh, so it's good if I want to invest in your car wash. That's better. 
but you're uh, doing all the work. Not probably. mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not yours. Okay. I'm not. Someone it's else. Car wash Somebody anymore. else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, that's, it's great for that. If you live in the town, you know, if you can really be there on top of your game nonstop and you have great employees and then self-storage is lower cash on cash, but a whole lot easier. Self-storage is a popular asset class. So there are many ways to add value in the self-storage space. And you just have a lot less headache, which gives you more time to expand and grow your business. That's how I think about it anyway. so And what you guys are hearing right now, by the way, is so these are like two operators talking back and forth where we're in the trenches making the businesses work. And for the LPs that are listening, it's a good idea to have operators that are happy with, with the work they're doing and not completely stressed out. So why I settled on multifamily personally as an asset class is because you can get that kind of medium level. It, it's challenging, but yeah. it's not like you have to necessarily be there if you have a big enough property all the time. And the risk, the risk profile is still very advantageous, but you're not killing yourself unless you're buying D-class stuff to make these things work. And so it's always good to look for operators that are that really know what their, their market, they know their product. And they're not overworked and stressed out because then the performance can slip and, and all those things. Yeah, it's, I've kind of kept it deep on one asset class for my entire career in that regard. So, but anyway, so you moved, you moved into self-storage, you, you found that working better. And then where did you, where'd you take it? What was your idea with what you had and where you wanted it to go? Yeah, just so, so far it's been personal investments. The goal is to do some syndications very soon. I needed to prove and show some numbers first of what I'm capable of, or at least as a potential syndicator, that's how I think <laughs> my, my operator should act, right? They should have a track record. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm building my track record and then expanding through syndications after that in the self-storage and potentially short-term rental space as well. Short-term rental. So yeah, I know a few people doing those as well. A little bit more intensive, I think, but definitely some high cash on cash returns that you can, yeah. you can produce there, right? Yeah. yeah. Have you so dabbled far, with that yet? Have you bought anything there? Yeah, a couple of them and expanding right now on the personal side. But yeah, the cash on cash is around 30% at this point. And I think is also important to diversify markets, not only do, you know, vacation spots or not only uh, larger cities, but you should do a little bit of both just in case something does change in the economy. It's, it's important to have places in different markets, in my opinion. Yeah, that's um, on vacation rentals. I mean, that's definitely something that you want to look at. So, Stephanie, you when did you officially, would you say in your mind, and this is all speculative based on how you define this, but when did you become financially free? About a couple of years ago, I would say. A couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And how do you define that? How do you find? <laughs> how do you, how do you personally, everybody's got a different definition, by the way, of what they define financially free. Some it's just that their income covers their expenses and then they're financially free. Some it's like, I can live, I can own an island and live there and nothing matters to me. So I'm just curious how you would how you would define it in your mind. Yeah, I think for me is when you're at least making what you were making when you quit your W-2. Definitely a ton of room for making it a whole lot better and improve and grow from there. But yeah, real estate sometimes is a bit slow uh, in getting there. But once you are in the game, you can start to see very clearly that there is a light at the end of the tunnel 
and there is a path to get there and, and expand and grow as well. Let's talk about your entry into the game. What made it so challenging for you um, to actually get your foot in the door and get this rolling? Uh, the biggest challenge at the time, I think, was finding the right deal. I'm very analytical, and I think the numbers are super, super, super important because I think something will happen sooner or later in the economy. So you really need to watch out for the numbers and calculate for a potential decrease in income. Some people that are investing today, they were not there in 2008, and they don't understand that people lost 40% of their rental income, like literally from night to day. I was just talking to a guy last week who that's what happened with one of his multifamily building, because that city in particular only had one industry, which was car parts. And in a wait, apparently the automotive industry <laughs> got hit. And then they had 30 trucks move out, moving out on a Monday. <laughs> wow. So it was, so it can happen. And it's really important for all of us to at least have, I don't know, at least one year or two of runway. So how do you, what kind of stuff do you look for? How are you adding padding into your deals right now in today's environment, given all the crazy stuff that's happening in the world? Every deal is different. So it's uh, for me, it's important to have value add. So for example, if I see a facility, a self-storage facility that I can increase rents by X percent and I can do it right away, at least half of the units or that I can build more units and start renting very soon. Uh, so those are some forms of value add. Also cutting costs. You know, there are a lot of people that are retiring today and selling their real estate. And these people, they were not tech savvy. So there are ways to cut costs today with some of these properties that are for sale. You just need to do your research and really find these properties. Hey, I want to tell you about our mentoring program because I'm just excited at what our students' results are. We have students routinely do their first deal because they're working with a full-time syndicator. And that mentor is helping them do their first deal faster. That first deal is a lot bigger than if they did it without a mentor. And they avoid some of the biggest mistakes that can simply make you want to quit out of the business. So if that's interesting to you, if you value mentorship, check out our mentoring programs at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor. You can schedule a call with us and see if mentoring is right for you. And uh, we look forward to having a conversation. Yeah, that's such a good point. So when we're doing our deals, there has, you know, our, our deals are mostly an income play. You can reduce expenses, but at a certain level, it's kind of like, you can't go below this. So yeah. we have like one expense that we always are able to lower pretty much that most people don't. It's like an instant ROI is, is uh, the low flow toilets in our assets. So we'll go in and we'll place all the toilets with 0.08 yeah. Niagara's, right? And so exactly. you, can cut, you can chop the water bill by 40% out the gate. So as soon as we close that week, I've got guys on site going into every apartment, replacing all the toilets, right? And then they yeah. fix leaks and all that stuff. And so that right away is done. And that has to happen as soon as possible. Now that will effectively lower your expenses a decent amount right out the gate. And there's other ways, of course. Payroll is not going to be one that you can lower expenses because those payroll costs have gone up a lot mm -hmm. in the new environment, uh, just with inflation. Yeah. Um, but there's there's other areas you can potentially save. But generally, we're seeing income plays right now where people, from an operational level, haven't quite 
adjusted to the new market norms as far as rent growth or inflations. I look for those kind of opportunities where we can find an apartment complex. Maybe the guy has been sleeping on the fact that rents have gone up by 30% and we can go in and take advantage of that. There's some deferred maintenance. So there's some exterior curb appeal items that we can go in and do. Um, but we're seeing that there's rent increases of you know, up to, I think one of our deals, we, we found that there was a conservative a number of like 600 um, that we could go up on an apartment. Now we try to underwrite our deals to the lowest of the comp set. Um, yeah. So we find a lot of data out in the market that will prepare us for whatever undertaking we're on. So there's plenty of data behind what we're doing. And we've actually never missed uh, rent bumps. I've never projected a rent bump that we were never able to hit one time wow. out of all the deals that we've done because we underwrite to the comp set. So my question for you though, is like self-storage, there may not be those kind of comps or that data available, especially if you're doing like mom and pop stuff. How do you use data in the market to, to kind of help you? What kind of things are you looking at or what are you able to find in that space? Yeah, you, oh, there are actually comps in the market. So oh, you can find what your neighbors are charging. And also you can do feasibility studies that are companies that focus on self-storage uh, in particular for these studies. So you can really have a good grasp of what's happening in your market if there are new facilities that are coming up. I'm a full believer in adding tech as much as possible. Today, you can lock units from your phone or automatically if they're late on payments. Yeah, I'm sure you can do that. I'm not, you cannot do that on multifamily. Sorry. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> hey, we locked you. But you payments. can let Sorry. people do virtual tours, right? <laughs> for you. <laughs> people are signing leases online without ever calling us. So tech is beautiful. There are other ways to add value through tech as well. Like I recently put an antenna there to like do some hotspot thing that we're going to get paid, you know, I don't know, anywhere from $500 to $1,000 every month. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And that's a way to add value, right? Because mm -hmm. it's directly tied to the value of your property. We did uh, electronic billboard. So we oh, leased that very similar yeah, lease there a piece you go. of the land to a billboard company. They get a 20-year lease. They pay for all the infrastructure. You get like you know, 3K a month from them. Yeah. 20 years just increases the value of the property. We've done a um, next key program, which is where we can, residents can actually unlock uh, common areas from their phone. Yeah. So there's special locks that you install and they'll go up, they just walk up to it really easily and then they can get access to your gym or whatever it is. But I'm fully supportive of that as well. I think technology just it can lower the amount of human error on any asset class. And you see that a lot with self-storage because it's more, you can probably do more with tech. It's literally a check-in with your phone, do this, whatever, go access your locker. There doesn't need to be humans there quite as much. Um, and so curious, is there anything else on that, on that side you're, you're seeing that's, that's pretty interesting on the tech side? On the tech side, I try to find the young startups that are hungry for managing for months. So I have, I'm using right now a startup called Open Unit to manage mm. the income and everything else from self-storage. So I try to help these young companies because I know that they're building really great products compared to the ones that have been in the market for a long time. So that is so cool. Yeah. So you're, so you're actually using your Silicon Valley knowledge <laughs> 
and you're seeking out guys that are trying to get their get things going and you're able to to take them and try to use them to implement tech into some of your assets. Yeah. Because you think they're they're doing better stuff than some of the bigger firms. They're more they can maneuver a little bit easier. Yep. And they can kind of cater to your needs and then then you can invest in them later, right? <laughs> exactly. You're like, no, <laughs> actually not. <laughs> Not doing that again. <laughs> that's too funny. Okay, so that's that's pretty cool. So, you, so you're in this space now. You're like, listen, I'm going to build a track record, a little bit, and then I'm going to go out and start syndicating, right? Because at some point, guys, everybody runs out of money at some point. I don't care if you're Bill Gates. I mean, it's going to take him a lot yeah. longer <laughs> to to run out of money, but eventually you do. And so, uh, if you're trying to expand a business and that's your goal is to scale it. You're going to want to get some investors involved at some point. So when do you feel, Stephanie, like it's time for you to just open that door and start letting people come and, and partake in yours? Because I, I, first of all, I really appreciate that you're doing that because there's way too many people out there that just want to get a deal and they're, they're not really thinking about the fact that, you know, there's, you know, experience is important, but yeah, what, what does that look like for you? I'm in the process right now. I'm just looking for the right property. And once that is determined, uh, we'll do a syndication on that property. Cool. I love that. So Stephanie, if there's, there's people out there that want to get involved in real estate and they're just getting started out, what advice do you have for those kind of people? Well, number it depends what age range you are. If I were, if I was in my young, my 20s, I would definitely become a real estate uh, agent. I would work at a commercial firm and learn everything I could possibly learn because you not only learn everything, but you also get access to deals that you can put your own commission in. So that would be number one. But if not, go find somebody that you can help and learn as much as you possibly can from them. I know people in the industry that offered to be an operator for 1% of the entire project because that was his first project. Who cares, right? You're learning, you're building your track record, you're working with other experienced people. It's it's a phenomenal education that is free, <laughs> in my opinion. So those will be my my biggest pieces of advice, depending on where you are at in your life. Yeah, I don't think that people all the time understand that working for free to learn a skill, that the skill is the most valuable part. Right. So <laughs> exactly. Like my first year in in uh, real estate, I think I made fifteen thousand dollars. It was yeah. like pennies. That year, I I really spent a ton of time learning whatever that business model was, but that set me up. And every year, I made a little bit more, a little bit more, until you know I got to this level that where I was like, "Wow, this I'm financially free." But it took me really having the patience and being able to stick with it, and you know, building that skill set up to a level where it was valuable to the market. Yeah. So sometimes being a commercial agent or a real estate agent, just learning the vocabulary, learning how people do deals, understanding it. But in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, I really want to go be an owner. Um, It could be a really good way to get going in the business. But the biggest takeaway is just getting an education, getting however you can find that education or that mentor and get a path forward using the knowledge of someone else or whatever's provided and work really hard at that, that, that can kind of help you cut in line. I mean, that's going to get you further faster. And so 
I love that you said that the skill is, is super important in, the, in that regard. And I think I've done more of falling on my face to learn the skill where <laughs> just let's just try this and fail. And, you know, and you have, you start to get good at failing eventually. You're like, oh, I, I failed again. Let's, let's try this way next time to where it just becomes like a normal thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> becomes just a part of you. You're like, oh, I just failed twice today. Fine. Let's. <laughs> Let's, you don't get mad at yourself over it after over time, right? Like that's, that's a big part of it, but you know, that your skill is just being built. Curious, Stephanie, is there any, any time that sticks out to you where you had just this like big downward downfall or something happened? That was a big pivotal moment for you that kind of you learned the most from. Oh, with a car wash, every week something happens. Um, <laughs> my first week, as soon as I purchased one of the roofs, caved. And then later, my employee quit without any notice. And then he came back eventually. And then he went to jail. <laughs> and so it's been quite a ride. I think it has made me a much better investor because literally anything can be easier than car washes. Um, <laughs> Maybe not a deep, you know, apartment <laughs> investment. So they sound pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, they sound very similar. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, every day I learn something new. Thank God I went to Landmark Forum, which is a phenomenal course that I absolutely love and recommend because what they teach you is, okay, this is not a problem. This is just a situation and you're just dealing with it. You just got to figure out a way to deal with it. So it is what it is, just how can we solve this problem? And you really get into the action mode instead of the, oh, Lord, is this happening again mode, right? That can be easy sometimes to get into. So, yeah. 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 We just had a really, really like one of my most challenging deals ever just happen. Um, this is again, being 11 years in the business. I don't even know how many transactions I've done. I'm like, that one was <laughs> a big, big pain, like a horrible pain. And I was so angry for like about, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 minutes. I'm like, I'm like so angry right now at the way this all went down. <laughs> and I'm like, but there's some, there's so many things I learned. Like, I didn't know that a, a seller could use an extension against you. Wow. That was a new thing for me. They actually used the time on the extension. We did it just to be precautious. They took that and they were like, okay, well, we'll just sit on this for another month. And we, and we were like all geared up to close and they're like, nah, we're not in a rush now because we have this extension. We're like, wow. Like I've never seen that go reverse on you. And we would have been in a bind if we didn't close. So you learn things all the time. You know, I think it's through putting yourself in those tough situations. that makes you a stronger version of yourself. And, you know, Stephanie, definitely you having car washes and, and surviving that now, everything after that should probably be easy. <laughs> Hopefully. It is. Uh, I would love to hear a podcast episode on on your experience closing this super difficult deal. With everyone, I should, I should do just, it. I should do just one on just this one. I could probably yeah. talk a, a really interesting just one off podcast on one deal. Yeah, and how you close a deal with twenty sellers that can't agree on what they're owed uh, potentially. <laughs> really, uh, that's a huge lesson, and it happens yeah. all the time. It does. Yeah. Things like that happen all the time. And if you can help one person avoid it, it's, it's worth it. Um, <laughs> Stephanie, thank you so much for, for being on this show. How can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out? I'm on all social medias. You can reach out to me anywhere. Just search for my name. 
And my website, it's called monicarlorei.com. We have a newsletter if you want to subscribe to it on top of the page. But yep, you can reach out however you feel like it. Awesome. Stephanie, Monte Carlo, you guys check her out. She's, she's fantastic. Thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Thank you so much, Garrett. Wow. I loved hearing Stephanie talk about her experience in Silicon Valley and how it wasn't what she thought it was. And so she ended up going into real estate. And the truth is what she said, that most startups do fail. And then the VCs come in, you know, they start up this, this bright, new, shiny company. It starts to get some traction. You invest in an early stage and then VCs come in and dilute you. And I'm sure, she, you know, she didn't mention it, but I'm sure she's lost a bunch of money that way. When they fail, you lose out on your money. So it just, it just really helped solidify the fact, which is what we know, that real estate is just a really superior asset class in general. I'm sure you can hit some big wins uh, investing in tech. But the reality is, is that you can't, you probably can't consistently hit big wins. In real estate, you may not have as big of a swing upwards, but you're going to have a really nice risk profile and a lot of upside. You can still hit grand slams, which we've done. Uh, I've done a bunch. I love that kind of contrast, seeing someone that's like, oh, I was there. You know, everybody thinks, oh, Silicon Valley is this, this whole unique environment that uh, you can make millions there. And the reality is, is that it's not all that uh, it's cooked up to be. She's a prime example of that. I really also love that she talked about her experience in an asset class like car washes, because I'm sure other people on here listening, you've got on biz by sell. You're like considering, hey, should I, do I start this little business over here? Do I go invest into this laundry facility or maybe even a car wash? And you got into it, or uh, you looked at it. You're not sure what the what the profile is like when you get into the business. I liked our our conversation about uh, how it's tough to run a business when you can't afford high quality people uh, necessarily. So, and that's just that's not saying anything. It's nothing against people that are making a lower pay, but the reality is is that the business needs to be able to support payroll where your team is really strong, and as you get paid more. Uh, your skills go up and typically people that get paid more run the business more efficiently. And so on on an asset class like real estate, where you have either multiple properties uh, that you can share someone with, or whether you have one big property, you can afford a higher level payroll and higher quality people to run those assets. That makes all the difference when you're trying to own a business. These are just businesses like anything else. They're just a different type of business that where the demand is always typically there to live and you can afford a pretty decent payroll to run these sites. Uh, I also loved when Stephanie talked about how value add is really important because it is. There needs to be some kind of a strategy. You're not just going and we're not just sitting on a block and hoping it appreciates. We want to go in and force some kind of appreciation on the asset class. And that's super important. So we go in, make sure there's some kind of way that we can increase rents, make it a more desirable place for people to live, and then capitalize on that. It's pretty simple, guys. You go in, it looks like it looks like garbage. You go in, you make it look great. People want to live there all of a sudden. You make sure it's in a good location, and then it's worth more money. Uh, it's it's really not rocket science. And so, you know, I think that when she talked on that, it was really, really a good point to hit in general. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening to this show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I sure enjoyed having you guys. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. 
take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.